0: Hey, it's LGBTQ&A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Jen Richards. Jen is an actor, writer, producer, and one of the co-creators of the Emmy Award-nominated series, Her Story. Stay tuned. Hi, Jen. Hey. Hey, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for yeah. being here. I'm glad to t- excited to talk. Um I saw the Glad Award
1: nominations just came out. Congratulations on her story. Thank you. We didn't get nominated. We already got an award. Whoa, Well, <laughs> what was it? It's a special recognition award. Oh, recognition. Here's the thing. There isn't a category for web series. Really? No, it's you know, there's still there's a lot of stuff to cover, and, you know, it's, it's uh, the GLAAD Awards are, you know, it's not like the Oscars, it's a fundraiser for GLAA, yeah. you know, you just kind of use this as an excuse to get celebrities in the room and, you know, for production companies to pay for them to be there. So they just kind of, occasionally if there's something that's really important that they have to recognize they'll give it a special recognition award.
0: Oh, my God. Well, congratulations on the award. Thank you. The recognition. <laughs> yeah, <The> same thing. <laughs> All right. Well, the, um, I mean, I was... With the Emmy Awards, uh,
1: the nomination for that, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a little web series that could. I, I feel like we've we've gotten every award that exists for a web series. We topped every list You know, a best web series. I think we're just kind of like the most loved web series of all time. I think so.
0: But also like I self uh, that's not always correct but I always assume web series and I think low production this was like A++ production quality.
1: We put a lot into it. We put a lot into it. We got really lucky. We um, our producer Catherine Fisher uh, came across the script when I was actually working with a different producer in Chicago on a much much lower budget version of her story. And then Catherine Fisher out here in LA saw the script fell in love with it, said, I want to do this, like, for real. And I'm like, okay. And uh, I just kind of went with it. And then she just kept on adding more and more to the budget because she thought the story deserved it. She brought in our director, Sydney Freeland, and our cinematographer, uh, Bernie Seveno, and the quality just kind of went so high up, I got freaked out. Really? <laughs> oh, I tried to pull out. I'm like, I can't act in this anymore. This is getting like, too fancy. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. At what point did you re- realize, like, oh, this is a big deal? But I think the first day on set, like coming in and seeing like these like seriously huge big cameras like on tracks, and there's people like professional hair and makeup people, and there's background actors, and there's craft services. I'm like, this is just something I made up at my living room table. Like, you can't all be here for this. Like, that's insane. Oh my God, that's so and funny. And that, that freaked me out. As far as the reception, it was about a day after we, we aired it that I realized, because I remember the night that we, you know, we were all in this hotel room. I think we were in Oakland, California. Me, uh, Kate, our producer, Laura, my co-creator, and Angelica, the star, we, um you know, we were all huddled around the room. We hit publish, and we all took these kind of like little bets about how many views it would get in the first 24 hours. And... I was kind of like secretly hoping it would top a thousand, but I was going to be conservative and like I estimated like seven hundred. I think uh, Angelica is the eternal optimist of all of us. so I think she was thinking like two or three thousand, and then by the end of the day we had twelve thousand views. It was like, and this is with no advertising, no stars, like nothing. So I'm just like, okay, there's something going on here.
0: Yeah, I remember I saw little bits of it like on my radar and social media, and then I saw just randomly this tweet from Kerry Washington, and I was like, oh, this is this is a big deal for them.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carrie was great. Carrie was very supportive. She gave her stamp of approval. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, for everyone who doesn't know, though, it's pretty much, tell me if I'm wrong about this, it's of the, uh, the description. It centers mm-hmm. on the lives and relationships of three women and two are trans. That's absolutely
1: right. Okay. It's accurate. Thank you. <laughs> it's a, it's a six-part web series. All six parts live on YouTube. It's less than an hour total of runtime, And it's almost like an extended meet-cute. It's really about these two trans women and the people that they meet. And yeah. it's just like the start of a relationship. Absolutely.
0: It's like as good of an argument as any, not just for casting trans people in trans roles, but having trans people telling the stories and writing it—just the details that were in the script—it was—it was shocking
1: to hear. And that's the kind of thing that, um, particularly, our trans audiences responded to most—you know—enthusiastically, and is part of what like stoked that first initial—you know—flames of fandom, uh, because. That's the difference when when something's written from inside the community, you know, people who actually have that lived experience, they're tuned into certain kind of nuances that other people would never catch. And I think one of the biggest examples is that ours is not a transition story. You yeah. know, most transitions, you know, most stories about trans people written by by cis people are all about the transition because they're so fascinated by that. Which to me is like as if all movies were about puberty. You know, it's like it's a blip in our lives. I agree. I think too, it's like the
0: visual medium. They're like, oh, we'll have this like before and after. Right. You're like, oh
1: no, I'm like. Oh, do that. But for me, what was fascinating was what it was like for my friends. And I. Angelica and I, the, the star, were actually roommates. So we were living together in Chicago and, you know, we were both trying to date and it was just really, to me, it was just really interesting like what that was like for people like us. The title, in fact, comes from For years, whenever the few times I would ever see any kind of reference to trans women in television or movies, it'd be where, you know, some male character like meets this really hot girl at a club, whatever, and then, oh my God, finds out she's, quote, really a dude. And it's either hysterical and he's vomiting or everyone's laughing or it becomes like violent. And it's like, oh, well, you know, he faggot deserved that for dressing like that, whatever. Um, But for me as a trans woman, I was like, okay, but what's her story? What's it like for her to like go to the club, like meet some guy really hit it off with, she really likes him, and then she has to deal with, like, okay, like, do I tell him? And what are the consequences in that? You know, why should I? Is there a future here? Is it important? I mean, all these, like, it's a really complicated issue.
0: Oh my god, yeah, and when do I disclose? And Mm -hmm. I can't wait too long, and wild. And also it's like nice plan words for, like, history. I didn't intend
1: that, but it's totally gotten conflated with that, because, yeah, history is, like, a whole whole queer feminist thing Oh, that is so funny.
0: For me, too, one of the most chilling scenes was when, uh, Uh, Laura's character who's not trans her friends are misgendering your character and you see it bother her but she doesn't say anything and I was like, oh, that's how this happens. And that's how this continues.
1: And that's the thing, because in, in our kind of politics and the way that we talk online, everything becomes very black and white. You know, it's, it's as if there's like good guys and bad guys, but that's not the way it is actually in the world. Most of us, like face to face, it's subtle little things, you know, what we might call microaggressions, but it's these little things. You know, someone says something, you're like, you kind of think like, oh, that's not really cool, but like, oh, I don't want to make a scene or it's my friend, I'll talk about it later. Or did that really just happen? Um, you know, how do I actually feel about that? I don't know. Yeah. And and that's the way these kinds of attitudes really get instilled in a community.
0: Absolutely. And I know for like when it happens like for me, I'm like, oh, but I'm in this person's home. Do I want to like call right. them out?
1: And like, how can I do that nicely? And um, it's, it's a challenge. The pressure to be polite and to get along is so powerful. People really don't, uh, you know, don't give that enough credit for like how much that drives our face-to-face interactions. I, I agree completely. Did I hear, too, that Sydney Freeman...
0: Freeman Freeland? Freeland, who directed it, mm-hmm. uh, she's trans. I heard that you did not know she was trans <laughs> before you, she got on board. That is a true story. That is a what? true
1: story. There's been so many like weird little magical things that happened around her story, but that is by and far the most dramatic. So part of my like whole ethos behind this, I mean, the whole team was that we wanted as much trans involvement as possible. You know, it's already about starring and written by trans women, so we really wanted to ideally have a trans woman director. But, you know, I can't afford Lana Wachowski. Uh, <laughs> you know, they were busy for Sensei. So. Okay, but
0: to cut you off,
1: I saw her <laughs> name in the special thanks and the credits. Well, Lana and Lily are actually old friends of mine, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So you know everybody? Uh, kind of. Okay. <laughs> I know there's always this trans thing. I'm like, oh, I know a trans person. Do you know so-and-so? I'm like, you know, not all trans people know each other. But yes, I do know that person. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I've known the family for many years in oh, Chicago. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, actually, before any of us transitioned. Um, You're kidding. No. <laughs> that's wild. It is very wild. Anyway, so we wanted a transdirector, couldn't really find one. And then so we kind of expanded our sphere... Uh, to just kind of like queer women of color. Ideally, uh, like an actual queer woman of color, but either women of color, queer women, whatever. Somewhere in that kind of range. And uh, we kind of got this name, you know, from Floated from Friends, and one of the names at the top of the list was Sydney Freeland, who I hadn't been familiar with yet, but I went and looked at her work, and I, I watched her movie, Drunk Town's Finest, and was just blown away. I mean, it's a gorgeous movie. And for people who don't know, Sydney's uh, Navajo, she was raised on a Navajo reservation. And *Drunktown's Finest is about these three people on a Navajo reservation and the way their lives kind of intersect. And it's a really just, like, beautiful, poetic, authentic movie. And it had, a, like, a tone that I totally wanted for her story. And one of the characters in her movie was a trans woman and played by a trans woman. So we thought, okay, great. We know she's a queer woman. We know that she's queer. We know she's Navajo. So like, we've got those check boxes and she's already worked with trans actors. So she gets that. So, okay, we're, we're golden. So we're like, this is our girl. Like we really, this is great. And there's, there's nothing about Sydney being trans in the media at this point. Uh, So then we, we sit down with her, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I was in DC on some kind of consulting gig. And so I was on a video chat and they were all in this, around a table in LA and we're we're talking and talking and at some point i i kind of casually make some kind of specific trans reference and then i explain it to sydney and she just kind of looks at me and goes yeah i know and the conversation goes on and she's just kind of sitting there quietly and then like a minute later she stops the conversation she goes do, do you guys know my background we're like yeah yeah no we loved your movie blah, blah, blah. and she goes she goes no no, no i'm 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 trans too <laughs> we're like what we're like i it turns out she hadn't been. She's not stealth. She's not one of these. There's this thing where, like, no one knows she's trans. She just wasn't. She didn't talk about it. She transitioned a long time ago. She just doesn't talk about and it. And I'm sure she gets a script and she just assumes that you knew, right? She thought that's why she was getting it. You know, it's because <laughs> she was. And, and the, the funniest part, though, is that the woman, uh, Carmen, who played the trans woman on her first movie, Never knew that Sydney was trans. They filmed the whole movie and she never knew that Sydney was trans. In fact, when it came out in the news, when Sydney finally started talking about it, Carmen wrote to Sydney and said, Girl, like people are spreading rumors about you. They're saying you're trans just because you put a trans person in your I still, our makeup artist who I, I still work with sometimes, I saw her like months after we had shot her story and I happened to mention that she had, she had no idea.
0: That is so funny. Yeah. That's
1: unbelievable. Yeah, I mean she just it just Sydney's just not the type to bring it up. Sydney really doesn't talk much about personal stuff. She talks about work. She comes alive when she talks about film. Yeah. And so she's just a really great filmmaker. Wow. But it was nice to know just knowing the fact that a trans woman was directing, that she really understood the issues that were trying to get on screen, that she had that kind of sensitivity. Really made a big impact.
0: Uh yeah. I mean, I, I want to believe too that like you were drawn to her work that um, like told this trans story and like she was able to tell it because she was trans. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure you picked up on something of that.
1: It definitely. I mean, it seemed like a very authentic portrayal. Absolutely. Yeah, that is wild. Yeah, I know. Like so many little bits of magic like that have surrounded her story. The latest thing just recently, there's this blog that does like um, it's like this day in LGBTQ history and they were doing something for our, because we just, we came out about a year ago, Turns out, we released on the same day as the L Word that ri- when it originally came out. That was not intentional, but like everyone has said, like we are the next L Word, like we're, the, so we're funny. heir to that. And like, turns out, we're astrologically twins. I suppose <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. What what is next for the series? Well, we actually have a full season uh, laid out. We have a treatment for ten half hour episodes that pick up after the web series end, and, and we're trying to get someone to hand us a big bag of money to go make it. And so far, no one has been willing to do that <laughs> no bites but it's uh, it's still for sale people out there if you know any production company we are the most award winning web series ever and let me tell you the rest of the story makes the web series seem like nothing oh my we god we get into it we, it's a broader range of characters we have a bigger cast more diversity we have trans men non-binary different ages we get really into like serious like gritty intersectional LGBT issues I'm so excited to do oh, it oh man stick that for sale sign in it come no buy kidding. it
0: Cool. Good luck with that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. So you knew Angelica Ross from the series before? Did you just from being in the same community in Chicago? Yeah, we, we
1: actually met through a mutual... F- Janet Mock introduced us um, years ago. The three of us went out one night in Chicago. We'd all known each other online, but it was the first night that we'd met each other in person. Yeah. And we didn't hit it off right away. Like, she thought I was crazy, because um, my personal stories are a little crazy. And I thought she was just um, boy obsessed. Like, she couldn't have a conversation. She just, like, she's, oh, my God, look at it. You know, just constant, like, eye-searching. Uh, but Janet kind of thought there was, like, you guys should work together here in Chicago. And, um, you know, we stayed in touch, you know, would occasionally see her. And then one thing led to another, and I was looking for a roommate, and she was looking to to move as well. And so we just said, okay, let's, let's give this a shot. And then it's just, we kind of became, like, sisters. We lived together for a couple years.
0: Wow. It's, kind of, it's amazing that two, both of you, were, like, in the media now.
1: Well, no, what's really amazing is is the fact that Laverne, Angelica, Janet, myself, Gina Rosero, were all friends, like, five years ago. Like, that's... Really? Oh, yeah. No, like, Janet, Laverne, and Angelica were, like, at my house five years ago before Orange is the New Black, before any of these books. And like, those
0: are the most recognizable trans women in the yeah, world right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, Gina Rosero was, like, at my house, you know, like, three days before her TED Talk came out and got seen by millions of people, and she outed herself as the trans supermodel. And, um, yeah, I mean... When I used to go out with Laverne, it was, you know, she, she might get someone recognized or like, were you on I Worked for Diddy? Or like, were you in an order of uh, uh, Law & Order? Did I see you in an episode of Law & Order? Uh, now we can't go out in public. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. She's an A-list. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, I think, the real beauty of this particular phase of the trans movement over like the last four or five years is that what really drove it is the friendships behind the scenes yeah there was a a kind of conscious effort like a conscious decision and I credit Janet with it the most. she was kind of like the leader um she was just the real the real heart of it all um she believed in in kind of loudly, visibly expressing sisterhood and supporting each other, which is not the way things used to be amongst trans women. There was this kind of sense of like you never want to be seen next to another trans woman because it increases the likelihood of you getting clocked, you know, you getting yeah. spooked or whatever. And it was very competitive and the whole scarcity model. So, and and Janet kind of like came out and changed that. She's like, no, no, we're we're together. Like, we're I I love you. She loves me. Like by loving you, I'm learning to love myself. And she really kind of changed things. That's really, amazing. Yeah, I credit a lot of this. The, the change in the trans movement to her
0: because before too like they're like oh we have a trans actress we only need one. one oh yeah part of her story is like oh man two on the screen at the same time I can't can I do that yeah <laughs> is it gonna break um yeah Janet has had or I don't know it's so on was so popular the show mm-hmm. and she'd have trans women there and talk about issues and yeah. it's like yeah absolutely um that's a really nice thing to say I haven't heard that about her yeah, People know no, she's about her let's say excuse me I see a lot of good things about her but I've never heard that
1: Janet is possibly the most extraordinary person I've ever met. It was I'm a big personality. Like I'm used to like kind of like being the center of things and whatever. The day I met Janet, I realized I was like a supporting character. Like that and that's the only way I can describe it like, oh, like she's the star. I'm a supporting character in her story in a way that I felt grateful about. Like I'm just glad to be in your orbit. That's fascinating. <laughs> she's just she's just one of those special people.
0: Wow. Um you've said that when you came out that you Um, then sought out a trans community specifically a diverse trans community Mm -hmm. and those in the trans experience Um, can I ask like how you did that like what you did
1: um Well, again, I have to credit part of that to to Janet as well. I mean, she was one of the the first trans people. She came out about the same time I did. So we were both, like, on Twitter is where we were, like, kind of kept bumping into each other. I used to host this Twitter chat, like, every Saturday or every other Saturday called called Trans Chat. And we would use that hashtag and we would kind of, like, meet each other and, like, have different topics. And uh, I remember at one point I was talking, we had a discussion about race, and it kind of went off the rails, and and Janet and I kind of uh, connected over that. She kind of called me out, like, in a really constructive way, like a really helpful way uh, when it came to talking about race. And so that kind of opened the door for those kinds of conversations for me. Because the thing, like, particularly, I mean, we can talk about different, um, you know, axes of, of difference, but... I think particularly for people like me, for white people, talking across race is one of the most difficult ones. And once I kind of, you know, I don't want I to pop my cherry is the only metaphor that's coming to my brain. There should be a better one. But like once I got comfortable talking across racial difference and like, being comfortable with someone saying, like, hey, girl, that's a little racist, or you're being this, or you're being that, and and being able to take that in, uh, being able to laugh about it, be able to, like, keep going further with it, that kind of opened my worlds up to all kinds of, of friendships. Wow. So that was part of it. Part of it was, like, The very first thing that I went to, like, as an out trans woman in Chicago, was a memorial service for Paige Clay, who Paige and her story is named after, who was um, a young black trans woman who was, you know, murdered on Chicago's West Side and, like, dumped in an alley. No arrests have ever been made. Gorgeous young woman, just really full of life. I didn't know her beforehand, but, you know, got to know her story. And I, I think just being there at that memorial service is like, okay, the only thing separating me from her is that, you know, I'm white and I live a couple miles to the north. And I just started kind of being concerned about those differences. And so when I created my first project, which was uh, a website called We Happy Trans, which is a website for kind of collecting positive stories of, of trans people, um, I immediately like, sought to partner with um, a trans man of color who I brought in to kind of run the other half. And from that point on, everything I ever did, each thing of the Trans 100, And everything else is always included as, like, equal partners, um, trans people of color.
0: Wow. Yeah, I I mean, I like that in your work. You are very vocal about, yes, this is hard, but there's also a lot of good things to talk about.
1: Yeah. we need to tell those stories. And, and And that's the thing. Like, it is hard, but, like, once you get over it, like, that is where the stories are most interesting. I mean, most, you know, I mean, there was a point, you know, not that long ago where... To all intents and purposes, according to the world, like I was a middle class straight white guy. (laughs) You know, like that's what they look that's what they saw when they saw me. And, you know, now my world is, you know, composed of, you know, my best friend is a porn star. A lot of my friends are sex workers and people living with HIV and and living in addicts and immigrants and trans people and queer people and artists. And it's a much more interesting world. Like we are (laughs) you know, we are where all the interesting questions are. And that's and that's always what's fascinated me. Like I'm I'm not someone who's really looking for answers for the most part. I'm just kind of like like okay, what is the deeper question behind you know that seeming answer? Like I always want to take it a little bit further. Oh, I love that! Wow, um, tell me about in the, the Trans One Hundred. You
0: created that as well, though. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! How, how long has that been going on for? Like it's been over five years.
1: Well, it stopped. It did it, it stopped? stopped after I left. <laughs> oh, I thought they were still sort of putting on a list. <laughs> uh, I think so. It's it's a long convoluted oh, story. Oh, sorry, frankly. you don't have to no, tell No, no, it's, it's okay. Because I, um, I partnered with someone else uh, named Tony Dorsey. And then we had some issues. And well, she basically disappeared. And she can say, she'll say that too. She'll own it. So this isn't slander or anything. Uh, So I ran it for two years. And then the third year, I handed it off to uh, two other people, Rebecca. Um, Kling and Crispin Carmona in Chicago and then Tony came back in and wanted to take it back and then she hasn't done it since. But if she does get it back going again, I know she wants to, more power to her. Fantastic.
0: Okay, tell me that's that.
1: You're talking about being
0: perceived as a straight white man. Mm -hmm. Was it an adjustment to, for lack of a better word, to like adjust to that loss of power and safety?
1: Girl, I used to go to like go so here's the thing like I used to travel a lot and I love cities and I don't like to sleep so I would often just like go out in the middle of the night and wander cities and I could do that like as as like a white dude like I could just kind of like go wherever I wanted whenever I wanted and not really worry about it Um, and I just kind of took that for granted like the world was just kind of mine and the, the way I talk about it now is like I could watch any TV show watch any movie read any book you know basically hear any story and chances are I could identify with the hero I could always be the hero. It, going back like 2,500 years worth of literature, then all of a sudden I lost all of that. All of a sudden I was the other. All of a sudden I wasn't safe in space. Uh, in the beginning of my transition when I looked very trans, like when I... Um, when people saw me as either is either as a feminine man or as something in between or just as a trans woman, whatever it was, that elicited a lot of um, disgust, mockery, you know, I've been spit on, people make vomiting noises at me, threaten me, chase me. You know, people laugh at me, and everyone just kind of like watches. Like no one, ever, not wanted anyone ever intervene. And I went through transition while living in Chicago and taking public transportation every day. And it's it's a long, awkward period. You know, it's a second adolescence. It's other kind of puberty as you figure out everything and your body changes. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a huge huge shift. I suddenly saw how not just the other half lives, but really, like, the other, like, 98% of the world, you know, live, you know, that isn't, like, a middle-class straight white guy. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, it's, um, it's really shocking. And it wasn't that, like, I was some kind of arrogant conservative before who thought there was no injustice in the world, but, I I mean, I was a good progressive liberal, um, but I never experienced firsthand what it was like to... You know, endure constant catcalling and sexual harassment, to have every conversation I have with men now to have like a sexual undertone to it, for me to be first noticed for my looks rather than anything else, Um, you know, to not be able to get health care because I was trans, to be able to be legally fired in my own state because I'm trans, not to be able to use the women's room in my home state of North Carolina, like all these things that like reminded me that you don't belong. You know, and it's not like I changed. You know, my my intelligence, my you know, my education, the, the things that I'm capable of contributing to society. None of that changed. It's just the kind of like box that society wants to put me in has changed, and this box is also labeled trash. <laughs> That's amazing, in, in like a horrifying way, to be able to have
0: that comparison.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I take it as a gift now um, because the way that I see it, I know what the world should be like for all of my friends who never got that taste. Because like most, most of my friends like in the LGBTQ world never had that direct experience. you know? And because I did, I can walk into them and say, no, like, this isn't acceptable. Like We should get this. We should do this. We yeah. have that capacity, whatever.
0: Oh, this is happening and it's not okay.
1: Yeah. I think of it too as like,
0: uh, for me, there was a realization in the moment when I realized that even though I, in terms of like racism, I'm not racist and I'm, and then i don't need to think about it because i'm fine that ignores like 90% of the issue and it ignores the inability for like certain people to still not be like walk down the street at night and it
1: be safe yeah. and there's like a deeper layer to that and i don't know that we're all thinking about that i remember the day when angelica and i were getting an apartment i was the one who um, you know first visited and talked to the landlords and all that and then on the day that we were going to sign the lease uh, i was walking in with angelica for the first time And as we're walking in, she goes, "'Lord, I hope they're okay with black people.'" And I literally stopped in my tracks and was like, "'I never thought of that.'" She just looks at me and goes, "'You never had to.'" You know, it's just, it just never even occurred to me, like, what if this landlord doesn't like black people and basically just says, you know what, I'm sorry, the apartment's been taken. Yeah. That was a possibility that I had never had to consider until, you know, I was living with Angelica. And little things happen, you know, it's serious stuff like that. It's fun stuff. Like, I've been in New York and Janet has thrown me in the street and said, get us a cab, (laughs) you know, go use that white girl privilege, you know, but that's real. Like, it's easier for me to get the cab than her. My friends do that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it can be really funny. I mean, you know, living with Angelica for two years, we had lots of different, you know, we had lots of fights over the temperature, over food, over music, like all these kind of cultural differences, a lot of which are individual, a lot of which are related to our race. And they don't have to be awful. They can be, you know, I mean, she would make fun of my music. I would make fun of her. And sometimes it was just funny. Mumford and Sons is white music. I can't, I mean, it's fine. It doesn't make it bad. <laughs> yeah,
0: We're talking about like the transitioning process. Um, it it's it's a process and it's, it mm-hmm. takes a length of time it's not just like coming out of the closet right uh, when did you did, do you feel like you are like past or like out of you're no longer transitioning
1: like as the verb and like how long did that take um you know I don't know I don't think there's I, again because it's totally subjective yeah but, um I've always used it as a singular thing I say I like I transitioned um and that was the day that I sent out this massive email to everyone in my contact list that was its only just a couple sentences, basically like, um, just so you know, <laughs> like, I'm now a woman, my name is Jen, you sh- use female pronouns. Thanks! <laughs> you know, it was something very, very casual. It was worded a little bit better than that, but it was very casual. Uh, to me, that's like, that's when I transitioned. Okay. But yeah more literally there was a process whereby you know i started hormones i you know decided on a name change you know informed friends you know started wearing different clothes like my appearance changed it's a, it's a gradual process and for every per- trans person you know the the end is different for some people it's one particular surgery for some people it's social transition for some it's the day they start hormones um, you know, me, as a human, I just think we're, we're all... I know this is going to sound cheesy and poetic, but I really mean it. We all are always in transition from something to another. Like, yeah. that's just kind of the nature of being human. So, yeah, I'm still in transition. Okay. I'm not transitioning from male to female anymore. I just am who I am. But I'm sure I'm transitioning to something else.
0: Yeah. Were, were, were you thinking about the kind of woman you want it to be? Or was it always just about being perceived as a woman and the rest would come later? You know, I really
1: didn't know. It was just this... It seems so simple now. Like, now it's just obvious. Like, oh, you're a girl. Like, yeah. all the things that made me kind of, like, weird as a boy. Like, I think, like, growing up in the South and, you know, like, during um, uh, holidays and stuff like that, all the men are in one room watching football, and all the women are in the kitchen, like, cooking, and I'm in with the women. And it's always just like, oh, that, you know, that, that made me so interesting. Like, I was a special kind of boy. It was like, no, you're just, you're just, like, a regular boring girl. There's really nothing that special about you. Like, like lost all my specialness. <clears throat> so it's clear to me now, but... Then it was just I was just different i didn 't know exactly what it was, yeah. or why it was, and it took me a long time to figure out and i didn 't think I was trans um, i didn 't think I fit like the narratives that I had heard about trans people and then I went to therapy to get help with it, and the therapist told me i wasn 't trans. This was back in the day before they had they had really good information, and so it just took me a long time to f- in fact, I finally started taking hormones to prove to myself I wasn 't trans. In my head, it's like, you know, the whole, like, um, you know, take something too far in order to know what's enough? Yeah. I thought, okay, like, this shit won't go away. I keep, you know, like, wanting to, you know, feel like a woman, be seen as a woman. Um, I'll just take the hormones, and then I'll realize, like, girl, you're not trans. Just, you're just, whatever (laughs) your weird boy thing is, just just go that and be that. And then after a couple weeks on the hormones, before anything had changed, before my appearance had changed, like, nothing had really changed externally. The difference in how I felt was so... Just, I, I, it's indescribable because no, if you're cis, you don't know what this feeling is like. But once testosterone was gone from my body and the estrogen was in there, I felt right for the first time in my life. It's like I'd been wearing a heavy backpack from the time I was born, you know, like all the time, like to school, at home, in the shower, and bed at night, like it was just always there. And then one day the backpack just slipped off. I'm like, oh, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And I was just fine. And then, and then, it, and then from there it was just kind of off to the races. And then and now now it's like I can almost take it for granted um, because of the way I would move about in public, and most people don't even know I'm trans. They just treat me like a woman. It's kind of like I can go days and kind of forget that I even am trans, and that there was ever a time when I wasn't this way. But at the time before that, yeah, it was just years of agony before just letting it go. Is that like startling to your younger self that
0: this thing that you like were so
1: consumed by for so many years that you're like you kind of forget about? Yeah, absolutely it is. And when I meet, like, young trans people, or people, like, early in their transition, or people who are, like, struggling with whether they're trans or not, I'm just like, oh, hon. Like, I wish you could just, like, fast forward. Like, the struggle is what's killing you. If you just, like, drop it, let it go, and just be yourself, like, you'll yeah. be fine, you know?
0: Yeah, I, um, it, it's, uh, I think it's so fascinating, too, like, the younger generations, because... It's no longer, it seems, it, like, do your dreams and living authentically have to be mutually exclusive? No, I think for a long, long time it was. And that's not something that, um, like, uh, non-trans people have to deal with. True. Like, that's a lot of just added stress. But, um, I, I don't know, For yeah, it's it's such a, like, a crapshoot for a, a young trans person uh, to grow up in America, I, I, I believe, <laughs> um... Not to generalize, but like in LA with like trans inclusive laws and a good family, it could be so much easier compared to somewhere else without these laws. And yeah, um, I mean, mean, I'm from North Carolina, but like that that polarized, that difference in
1: childhoods kind of like kills me. It shouldn't be that different. No, it shouldn't. And it has a lot to do, um, you know, with education and class and religion and race and geography, of course, like the same old factors. So I still meet um, kids and get emails from kids who are, you know, being. You know, um, their teachers, their their parents, their preachers are telling them that they're evil and wrong, and they're they're leaving house. They're still running away to the cities and being taken advantage of. Um, There's still lots of you know young girls out working uh, survival sex work because they can't do anything else. And then on the other side, I had dinner with an eight year old trans girl a couple months ago who transitioned three years ago, and you know, I mean, she's gonna she's gonna have her whole life you know, in her gender. It still won't be like any other cis girl. You know, she, she'll she always be, I assume, I don't know, I mean, I, I guess on some level she'll always be aware that she's somewhat different, but at some point maybe it'll just be like, in her mind it'll just be like this little like birth defect she had and it got fixed. I don't even know.
0: That's a fascinating difference, though, that she more likely than not won't have memory.
1: mm She won't remember ever not being a girl.
0: Wow. Yeah. I also think it's interesting too with younger people that there are so many more are identifying as non-binary.
1: That's the thing now. I'm yeah. like a dinosaur now. But <laughs> my friends and I all joke about it because we're like all these we're these kind of traditionally feminine like hetero trans women. Yeah, and like the kids today, like if they're under 25, they are something I don't know. And I'm, I love it.
0: I agree too. And I th- I'm fascinated by the fact that so many uh, identify as non-binary, but are not. They don't actually care about the way that they're perceived because it's so internal for them. And they're like, yeah. I know who I am, so they don't. Um, many of them like don't dress in genderqueer ways because they're like, no, this is like, I don't care what you think.
1: I know it really threw me at first, like when someone says like I'm non-binary, and to me, like I see this like very feminine woman or a very masculine man, and it took me a while to kind of like catch up to them that you know it's something that goes beyond external appearances and I, I'm, I'm in awe of them, really. I think they're, they're, they're saving us all. And I think, like, the uh, trans dinosaurs, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you pave that way to say, like, oh, there's options and this feeling. I can, like, express it. Yeah. And and the girls before me pioneered the way of—I think for a long time, like, trans people were just trying to be accepted as people. Like that was their kind of thing. Like the, the Kate Bornsteins and Jenny Boylan's and, and that kind of lineage before us were just trying to, like, be seen in the media just as people. Like they're not mentally ill, they're not like monsters, they're just like people. And then I think with you know with Janet Laverne in this generation, it's almost like we're women or we're men, and you know? it should be celebrated. And it should be celebrated. And it's like it's okay to be like be out and kind of celebrated for those things. And now for this new generation, it's like it's gone beyond yeah. all of that. It's like you know, there's this. Uh, I think it's Marshall McLuhan statement: the the um, the off environment becomes a new invisible becomes art in the new invisible environment, which basically just means the things that like. The things that we take for granted, the, the the artists then like totally play with until it becomes a new norm for other people to take for granted. And I feel like what's happened right now is gender was this this thing that we worked very much like either within a binary, like either against it or whatever. And like they're just like they've just taken that and they're beyond it now. I agree. Like they've just sloughed it all off and they're like working into some new world with like an invisible wall that we can't even see yet.
0: Right. And I see two people in my generation who are so much more comfortable. Um, like uh, behaving in gender non-conforming ways, mm-hmm. even though they don't identify as that as a gender non-conformer, but they're like, no, I don't care. I'll wear I'll wear nail polish. Yeah, I'll wear this dress. And I'm like, god! it. Like, it. They just think it's an amazing and like exciting time. It really is.
1: And we're inventing language. Yes,
0: that's so cool.
1: That's, that's always a sign that that like things are changing and developing in a really like rich positive ways when the language starts shifting. Yeah, I don't understand like people are like, oh, I hate all these different pronouns and words and all blah blah. blah. I'm like why it's fun it doesn't hurt anyone it's really interesting it's creative i agree and also
0: i think that like labels can be so damaging but i think they're so vital and necessary especially early on uh, just to know that like this feeling I have yeah. has a name and like it
1: exists. It's, it's like fashion, you know. It's like it's you wear it, <laughs> you know. You wear it according to the season and according to your desires and like what you kind of want to wear that day. Yeah. So, if femme is the fashion of the day. Then you go for it. If you want to be butch at another event, then you do that and go on to be the other fifty things I don't even know about. <laughs> I agree. Me, I, I just you know want to cook with my mom in the kitchen in the south. <laughs> I'm still pretty simple. <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned Jenny Boylan. It's
0: amazing that maybe, like, 15 years ago, she was on the Oprah show for the only reason that she is trans. Right. Now if a trans person's like, hey, I want to come on, they're like, why? And she's like, I'm trans. Or
1: like, okay.
0: <laughs> like, anything else?
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's still a bit of that. There's still... There, I still see a lot of entitlement in trans people where I, I get this sense of, like, trans women, all the, especially, like... Older white trans women, basically people who were straight white men who then transition. And they think, like, just the fact that they transition is the most incredible thing in the world. And it's kind of be like, Hon, I know it is for you. And, like, that's important and own that, but no one else cares anymore. You know?
0: <laughs> that's so funny. I also tend, I've been meeting more and more people who um, live and are perceived by um, a gender that they were not assigned at birth, but they do not identify as trans. Have you? Yeah, I don't know many people like that. I, I hear about it occasionally, but
1: not often. I
0: I've met a couple, and I know like one or two intimately. Uh, not intimate, sorry, it's friends. So <laughs> we have okay. Um, yeah, a uh, no, uh, couple, and um, they, I think, uh, to like speak for them, I think they're like just afraid of the label because there are like there can be negative connotations, mm-hmm. and part of me says like take whatever label you want, it doesn't matter. But other part of me is like join our fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I would never tell anyone individually. Like, you owe it to the movement to be out. Of course. But on a a kind of collective level, it's absolutely true that unless you're visible and out, like, nothing changes. Like, you you are part of the problem. Um, There's a line in her story where my character, Violet, mentions... Two of her friends back in New York, one's a model, one's an actress, and they're both stealth. At the time that I wrote the line, it was a true line, and it was about Gina Rosero and Trace Lissette. Gina was a model, and no one knew she was trans, and Trace was an actress, and no one knew she was trans. And then, over the, you know, over, since I wrote that, and over the last couple of years, they both come out. Gina did this big TED talk that got seen by millions of people, and Trace Lissette plays Shay on uh, the yoga instructor on the show Transparent. And they've both actually had their careers enhanced. By being out trans women. And I think they're both a lot happier <laughs> as out trans women. There's still complications that come with it. Um, and maybe they have both lost work in some way, shape, or form. But ultimately, the work that you get being your authentic self is the work that goes the furthest.
0: I, yeah. It, it, I also can't like wrap my hand around like, this is the definition. <laughs> and like, you, this definition like applies to you. But yeah, like, uh, who am I to tell? <laughs> I just have a podcast. <laughs> um, before I let you go, can I ask you already? No. Just oh my God, I have like a couple more questions. Okay. Um, can you tell me, this is not a, a trick question, but can you t- explain
1: to me Aporia? Aporia? Yes. Uh, aporia is a, <laughs> I don't know where you got that, but I love it. Uh, aporia, is that on one of my bios? It is from two sources. Okay. Your Twitter and your website. Okay. Uh, aporia is um, a Greek concept. I'm, I'm, my training is in philosophy and, and classics. And basically, do, have you ever read like any, like old Plato, you may, maybe even if you haven't, you know this kind of thing, like Socrates was famous for going on these long walks with people who think they know something, and by the end of the walk, they don't know anything anymore. Okay. Because Socrates kind of interrogates them in this way, and it kind of like unpacks everything they think they know. That state is called Aporia. <laughs> okay so that's kind of like the state I like being in and that's what I meant earlier when I said you know like reaching for deeper questions rather than answers yeah it's kind of like you interrogate to the point where like everything kind of drops away like all your preconceptions your labels whatever and then you're just having a direct experience and that can be aporia or or aporetic
0: um on, on your Twitter, you say life in Aporia, and on your website, you say in search of Aporia. Oh, yeah. interesting.
1: So <laughs> I'll <laughs> to, maybe I'll have to make those more consistent. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not here to attack you, uh, but I need them to be. I've never up. had anyone else ask me that. That's really cute. I was
0: just like, oh, this is fascinating. <laughs> um, and then I have an, one more question from your social media. Mm. You wrote um, a couple weeks ago from your birthday that um, I'm in the midst of a radical change of life, mind, and spirit. Mm-hmm. Um Can you, like, talk about what's going on? I don't know if I can. Okay. I don't know if I'm ready to yet. That's fine. Then explain to me the second part of the statement. It says, um... This newfound belief in the truth and power of a lesson, how can I expect others to believe in me
1: if I don't? Basically, through this kind of crisis that I've been going through for a while now that I I think I'm finally on the other side of, um... I I think for years I've been looking for self-love. I think I knew that's what... I was basically killing myself, like, in in some way, shape, or form, and it was, there was a lot of self-loathing and self-hatred, and I thought, well, I need to find self-love in order to save myself, and so I was looking for it, trying to find it, and part of my salvation is realizing that I can't find it, it doesn't exist, it's not there, self-love isn't just there waiting for me. It's something I have to create starting today. And I have to create it like day by day by taking little acts. Self love is the accumulation of self loving every day, which is choosing to get up and like do something good for myself, you know, make my bed, walk my dog, you know, eat something healthy, um, get some work done, you know, um, call a friend, all these kind of little things that over time, that's what creates self love. So I went from kind of looking for it to kind of uh, beginning the process of building it. And that's basically where I'm at right now.
0: Wow. Those are, those, that's so, like, actionable,
1: too. Yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, every choice we make, we're, we're basically choosing, like, am, am, anything I do. Like, am I, choose, am I loving myself in this act or am I hurting myself with this act? And sometimes it's subtle. Um, sometimes you take a break and, then, you know, an indulgence feels like love and you realize it really wasn't. Uh, sometimes what you really need is really hard, uh, but you find it's always worth it. Uh, and it's a kind of discipline that comes with, with time and practice. And it is. It's little things every day uh, that end up making the most radical difference in a life. I love that. Um, that's such a cool place to leave it at. Is there anything else that you want to oh, tell us about? Oh, it's been so fast. Thank I feel like you. I just got here. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you're either, fun like, to talk
0: to. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, any, like, big projects you want to tell us about
1: while you're here? Um, sure. Well, let's see. I'm on the season of Nashville, uh, which is right. super fun. I was on episodes four and six, so you can still watch them on Hulu. Uh, Angelica and I both have a scene in Doubt with Laverne, which is super fun to shoot because we actually play a scene that, and the, the people who cast it didn't even know all three of us were friends. You're kidding. No, like totally they did not know that we were all already friends oh my God. so it was super fun to shoot and I'm like hoping it looks good on camera too and I have some other media things coming out um, otherwise I'm also doing a lot of writing and I have a feature in another TV series that I'm currently pitching so hopefully something will get picked up um that's all I can think of off the top of no, my No, all <laughs> exciting things. Um, thank you so much for this. My pleasure. Thank yeah, you me, for having me. Of
0: course. If people want to find you online, you're at Twitter at SmartAssJen. Jen is my handle everywhere. <laughs> oh my God, I don't think you're a smartass, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am on Twitter at Masters. one You can also find all of our interviews on YouTube, iTunes, and, of course, the website. We'll see you next week. Bye.